Welcome to Walters Kluwer's Audit Talks podcast series, brought to you by CCH Incorporated, where we hear firsthand from audit insiders on the latest trends, news, and technologies designed to help you transform and elevate your audit and advisory practice. Hi, I'm Patrick Tokarski, Senior Technology Product Manager at Walters Kluwer, and your host for this episode of Audit Talks. My guest today is Chris Gino. Chris is an audit manager with Savile Dodgen and Company, and some of what he'll be sharing with us are what the audit standards have to say about performing analytical procedures and how it impacts his practice. Thanks for taking the time to join us today, Chris. Thanks, Patrick. I'm excited to be here and excited to share my thoughts about analytical procedures and data analytics. Great, thank you. Well, Chris, before we dive into the actual standards, you know, one of the things I wanted to talk about is just why are we hearing so much about this? You know, you can't go a, a day anymore, it seems, without hearing something about data analytics and how it's going to impact the, the audit practice. And I really think back to, I think it was, it was late 2017 or late 2018, the AICPA issued their guide to audit data analytics as one of their, one of their guides that they published. And I think that really kind of got the ball rolling with, with placing more emphasis on this. Uh, we've also started to see a little bit of movement in the actual standards. So if, if I were to look at SAS number 142, that's the new audit evidence standard. It's not effective yet, but we see some information there specifically related to performing analytical procedures. And we're also seeing at the PCAOB, they've, uh, they have a project in place right now that's looking at changes in using, or how they're going to, how changes in use of data and technology are going to conduct their audits. So a whole lot of, whole lot of projects and information coming at us pretty fast and furious right now about using these data analytics. So Chris, just out of curiosity, are you seeing you know, more emphasis on it in your practice? Yeah, we are. We, have, we spend a lot of time in, in analyzing data as auditors. That, that's one of the fundamental things of what we do. And, and you mentioned that, that data is coming fast and furious. And that's true not just in uh, new standards for auditing procedures, uh, but it's also true in uh, just the environment in general. There's so much more data available that that being able to analyze it becomes so much more critical. There are, there's information for for our clients. It becomes useful for them because they're able to then turn that into process improvements or profitability. And so being able to use the data that exists is, is really important. We're trying to do that a lot more in our practice. It, it provides some level of efficiency because as you're able to analyze the data more more clearly and more precisely, you 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 inherently get extra levels of, of efficiency. And so you can streamline your audit a little better, provide a little bit more quality to your audit. Um, so there there are a lot of a lot of value values that come out of using analytical procedures and, and data analysis. Excellent. I, I couldn't agree more, um, especially with the way the world is changing. And as you mentioned, just the amount of data that we now have. And I think that actually kind of sets us up perfectly to dive into the actual standards, because I, I think a lot of us struggle with just how do we perform these procedures. And if you take a look at AUC 520, it's our standard on analytical procedures. It really is what, what gives us the, the framework for performing these types of procedures. The thing that I always like to do is just start with the definition first. And if you look at the definition from the standards, it just says that analytical procedures are evaluations of financial information through analysis of plausible relationships among both financial and non-financial data. And 
I always like to stop there because I think it really plays into what you were talking about, Chris. Um, it, it's that an, it's the analysis of a plausible relationship. Uh, I like to think of plausible as predictable. We should be able to predict what's going on uh, with our balances, and that can include financial and non-financial data. So, so often when we're talking about doing analytics, uh, I think back to when I was in your chair. Well, I hear people say, "Go do the analytics," and all that we th all that we think about is that simple flux analysis or variance analysis. And I think it can really go beyond that. Are you starting to see that in your practice? Yeah, there's no question that it's starting to that analytical procedures are starting to get more powerful. An old colleague of mine used to call uh, the the basic analytical procedure a two column drive by. Last year, this year, you just you're just looking at it, highlighting big changes or or something of that nature. And as you really dig into the data, like you mentioned. There are there are relationships that are way way more predictable than just it's going to be the same as it was before, and and being able to parse through that information can be really valuable. If you take a retailer for example, a retailer is going to have several different store locations. Each of those store locations is going to hold inventory, and there is a predictable relationship between the amount of inventory that can be in those store locations and the amount of square footage that that store location has. And so there are these predictable relationships that exist between both financial data, that being an inventory of balance, and non-financial data, which is square footage of a, of a leased space. And there, are, so there can be these predictable relationships all across data that, that help to, to, again, to more clearly define what a balance should be rather than just looking at here's what it was in the past, so it should definitely be that now. Um, there, there, there's a lot more that you can do than just that. Yeah, I think it is important to point out that that drive-by is a type of analytic. If we, if we were to go a little bit further in the standards, it says that analytical procedures do encompass such investigations as identified fluctuations. So we're not saying that that's not an analytical procedure, but the value of it just could be limited. And I think that's especially highlighted in the just the economic environment that we're in right now. Obviously, there are some companies that are really struggling. There are others that are are having their best years ever, depending on the type of product they have. So just looking at it and saying, well, is last year a good predictor of this year? Probably not in the in the current economic environment. Right. Right. Exactly. And 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 I would like to highlight that again that there are there. Are, like you mentioned, a two-column drive-by is it, it is an analytical procedure, and it does uh, it does allow you to have an understanding, and it can certainly be one that's really powerful from a risk assessment perspective. Because if you do identify a significant change from one period to the next, that may be a really clear indicator of of, of an audit-related risk. <laughs> um, well, let's dive in a little bit further. We talked about the definition, just what is an analytical procedure. So what are the requirements? You know, when we're actually going out and we're performing these procedures, the basic requirements, if we were to walk through them, the first thing that we need to do is just determine the suitability of substantive analytical procedures for a given assertion. You know, not every assertion can be tested well through an analytical procedure. You know, you used a great example of uh, inventory at a retailer, pretty tough to to come up with a good assessment of existence of that inventory just from an analytical procedure. But from your example with the square footage, I think if we look at valuation, it would be a great example of here's what here's a here's the assertion that we can use an analytical procedure for. Yeah, and I think that's 
That's absolutely true. And I, I think the another assertion that uh, that you can typically use analytical procedures to help you with is, is the completeness assertion. Mm -hmm. You can find out pretty clearly if you're looking at liability balances or expense balances. Uh, you can you can you can use analytical procedures to identify whether something's missing um, because it may be pretty clear when when you have a significantly lower balance than you did in the past or or, or a specific or a lower balance than what you would have expected yep you know these well so once we know we have that that relevant assertion i think the next thing we need to do is really go out and evaluate the reliability of the data from which our expectation is going to be derived from that for me when i was in practice was always a challenge you know do we have the right data to go out and any and evaluate that balance any tips you can provide to our listeners is how you're going through and evaluating reliability well i think that the 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 first thing that you want to do is you want to make sure that the information came from a good place <laughs> and so if you're using client provided data then you're going to want to do some some testing on that data to make sure that it is actually what it what it says that it is. And so that may mean testing a couple transactions to make sure that they're actually there. Um, if you're using data that's coming from an external source, you may want to validate it to an alternative source. Make sure that it's uh, that you're double sourcing the data, that you're not just uh, taking some random website. So using, uh, using a quality website versus uh, or a quality piece of information, something that you can you can validate in a different way. So I think that reliability of that data is really important and and there are procedures that you definitely need to go through to uh, to make sure that what you're using isn't uh isn't just a pile of garbage you, you mean just because i find it on the internet doesn't mean it's right you know you know sometimes <laughs> it is right but a lot of times you gotta you gotta do a little more diligence yeah definitely something we need to do like you said evaluate the source of that data maybe do some tests of controls it's going to change our audit approach a little bit but if we're getting better audit evidence and maybe more efficiency from from those procedures, I think it's definitely worth it, the the investment in time. Yeah, there's no question that that's true. So now we know we have good data. We we have an assertion. We have good data. Really, the third step is to develop an expectation of the recorded amount or ratios that we're calculating, and evaluate whether that expectation is sufficiently precise. Right. Yeah. The challenge that I always had in practice was the precision of that expectation. You know, how precise do we have to be? And unfortunately, the standards are kind of silent to that. They tell us it's going to vary based on the level of assurance that we're getting. But any advice you can offer our listeners there? Well, I think the thing that you want to you want to really keep in mind is is materiality. And so from the from the perspective of your audit, the the way that you can assess risk is based on the size. Uh, and the size then comes down to what is material to those users of the financials that you developed before. And so if you have a, a piece of information that you can you can get within several million dollars, well that's that's not all that precise. Um, but if you can get within a couple a couple tens of thousands, maybe that's maybe that's more of the level of what you're looking for. And so it depends, of course, on the on the type of entity because the bigger it is, the wider that precision threshold might be able to be. Um, and then the, the more data points that you're able to utilize can help you to be more precise as well. And so I think I think being thoughtful of your materiality and then also being thoughtful of of what the actual underlying data itself is can be really help, helpful in 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 helping you to evaluate whether you're sufficiently precise. Yeah, I love your I love your 
tip of comparing it to materiality. Uh, it's not a requirement of the standards, but especially as we're getting more and more, as you're as you're wanting more and more assurance, I always like to I always like to calculate my expectations in in a dollar threshold. You know, if I'm looking at something like a gross profit percentage, actually calculate those dollars of gross profit because it is so much easier to make that comparison. You know, if uh, if gross profit went from 20 to 22 percent in a given year, we might look at it and say, well, it went up nominally a factor of two. Who really cares? But that's actually a 10 percent increase to go from 20 to 22. Now, if you actually computed that in dollars, I think it's a lot easier to see that. Right. I, I completely agree with you. And that's exactly what I like to do as well is yep. to is to evaluate from a dollar perspective, because it does highlight for you whether that 2% change is material to the financial statements or whether it's just uh, it's, it is as small as it sounds. All right, so now that we have our expectation, really the last thing we need to do is to actually do the analysis itself. So determine the amount of any difference from the recorded amount uh, that's acceptable. And then if we are outside of that range, we need to do further investigation. So the analytical procedure, hopefully your your expectation compared to the actual amount is going to be within what you consider acceptable. But if not, we do need to dive in a little bit further and, and do some additional testing. Right, and I think that that's actually one of the most critical steps of the analytical procedure is, is just because something has come outside of your expectation doesn't necessarily mean that you've found a disaster. There may be an opportunity for you to to either refine your expectation because maybe there's a piece of data that you you didn't understand or that the client hadn't uh, hadn't talked to you. Maybe there is a change in a product mix that has increased this two percent of your of your margin ratios. That that if you would have factored that in originally, you would have you would have come up to with the with an answer that was closer than what you got to. And so identifying and then corroborating whatever whatever's causing that that variance um, is. is is the most important step and, and can really help you to, uh, to tailor and to, to provide value with the analytical procedures that you're doing. Exactly. Well, let's talk about documentation requirements. Those are the requirements for performing the analytical procedures. I personally think the documentation requirements are pretty straightforward. You know, the first thing we need to document is what is our actual expectation and the factors that we considered in its development. From there, it's that last step that we just talked about, you know, what are the results of comparing the expectation to the recorded amounts, and ultimately any additional auditing procedures that we did, those follow-up procedures that you just mentioned. So I, I think the, the, the documentation requirements are relatively straightforward, but I know when I used to review work papers, this is something that a lot of staff, especially our younger staff members, used to struggle with. Are you seeing the same thing? Yeah, people still struggle with it, so that's not anything that hasn't changed. Um, I do think that the easiest way when I'm when I'm teaching someone how how to do this, or the way that I would think about doing this, the 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 simplest way is just to outline all of the things that we've talked about already. It's what what website did you pull your information from? If you, if it's reliable, how did you determine that that data that you were using was reliable? How did you develop your expectation? Where where did it come from? Who who did it come from? Or what was the source? What was the what was that threshold that you were comfortable with? Like how big of a variance are you going to be all right with? What is precise enough? Um, and then and then documenting what the what the balance was versus your expectation. There the it it is it seems a lot simpler when you're just talking about it, 
But I think the goal is to just outline the different steps that you went through. And so as you're documenting it, that's exactly what I tell people to do and, and how I coach people. And it's also how I try to do it myself is to, is to make sure that there's clarity in each of the different steps of the process that we've gone through so that you're highlighting what's important and you're allowing any other user of this particular analysis to understand exactly what you did. Exactly. And the thing I always remind people is don't assume someone knows what you did. Make sure you've got it down in that in that work paper somewhere. Absolutely. It's the the age old saying of if you if you didn't document it, you didn't do it. And exactly. uh, and, and that applies here too. <laughs> you know, it, it's interesting. Those what we just talked about are basically the requirements from from the standard. Now obviously there's further explanatory information and those types of things in the standard to help you with like the, the precision of your expectation and, and additional information that I would encourage our listeners to review. But one of, the, one of the things that I hear a lot is people say, well, you know, we have these new tools, we have these new techniques that we can do to perform analytical procedures. How do the standards accommodate for that? And I had a really interesting conversation with the outgoing uh, former chief auditor of the AICPA, it was Bob Doerr, um, he just left the AICPA not long ago, and he said, you know, the great thing about the standards, the way that they're written, is they give you the guidelines. They don't tell you exactly how to perform an analytical procedure, so you can take these new tools, uh, data analysis tools and those kind of things. You can follow these guidelines using those. Might have to adapt our documentation a little bit, but it, there's nothing in the standard that precludes you from using any of those new tools. Now, speaking of that, I wanted to take a few minutes here and just kind of talk about some of those tools and how we're starting to see the, the use of analytical procedures involved, I'm sorry, not involved, but evolve through the audit process. You know, I mentioned it a little earlier, the AICPA issued their guide to audit data analytics, and they're really trying to encourage us to go further than like we talked, just maybe those simple drive-by variance analysis. They kind of expanded on the definition that we that we talked about before, and in their new definition, they say that audit data analytics are the science and art of discovering and analyzing patterns, identifying anomalies, and extracting other useful information through things like modeling and visualization. I really like this expanded definition when I see the science and art. You know, this is one thing that there is some science behind it. We have to go through and follow those rules that we talked about a moment ago. But this is where I think we have some some flexibility as auditors, and that's where the art comes in to look at things and challenge ourselves as to how we can do different, how, how we can do things differently. Have you seen in your practice any of you know any of these enhanced techniques starting to be used? They're starting to be used, probably not used as much as I personally would love for love for them to be used, uh, because there is something about about being able to see a graph or being able to see a model in in a picture form that, that can be really powerful, where, where if you think about historically, you're looking at a set of numbers next to a set of numbers that give you a variance in numbers. And so it's a, it's a bunch of number data. If you start to turn that into, into graphic data, especially if you're analyzing something over a period of time, it really can highlight or, and identify anomalies or things that really do look unusual. And so, and so incorporating those types of simplistic at first um, graphs or, or visualizations can really help to, to highlight something that you may not have seen otherwise, where it was just when you're looking at just numbers, those, those significant changes don't, 
don't stick out as much, but once you stick it into a graph that looks pretty flat until you have a spike and then it comes back down, like that, 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 that's a lot more clear. And so uh, um, I, I'm, I'm excited to see what, what types of tools come out that uh, allow for extra modeling and visualization, um, because I do think that there is a, there's an exciting place for those in the, in the audit of the future. Yeah, I think it is important just to bring us back to those standards, though. Like we said, yeah, we can use these tools. They, we have the flexibility. But always remember, we still need to document and go through those same steps. You know, is the data that went into building that graph reliable? Uh, what was our expectation? Is the expectation that it should be the same? Or, you know, maybe you're an outdoor equipment manufacturer <laughs> here in 2020, and we should see a huge spike in your in your 2020. And that might not be unusual. So just important to keep those core requirements in the back of our mind and make sure that we're we're following them. Right. Yeah, that doesn't ever that requirement doesn't ever go away. And so even if you're using a pretty graph, you still have to set, you still have to talk about what you're expecting that graph to look like and where the information that that's included in the graph came from exactly like you talked about. You know, another thing that I that I'd like to see uh, was SAS 142, the new audit evidence standard that came out. Now, this relates to evidence. It doesn't change the requirements of actually performing the analytical procedures. But what I really liked is that they're starting to recognize how we're gaining evidence by using some of these audit data analytics. Now, again, this isn't effective right now. It'll be effective um, beginning December 15, 2022. But one of the things that they one of the things that they mentioned in the new standard is that data analytics can be used simultaneously to accomplish the objectives of both risk assessment and analytical procedures. They actually have an example in Exhibit A of that new standard where they use transaction scoring to go through and identify transactions in revenue that are that are riskier. And they said that's great from a risk assessment perspective because it helps you quantify the risk related to the revenue, the revenue account, but it also starts to give you some evidence related to the, the actual assertions for that account. Now, they say that it doesn't give you all the evidence. You probably need to do some additional investigation like we talked about, but we're starting to see how even in the standards, they're starting to converge those two different types of procedures. Uh, I think that's going to be really powerful as we move forward and give us some more of that flexibility that we've been talking about. Yeah, I don't think that there's any question that being able to take a, an analytical procedure that, that you would be doing anyway to evaluate a balance and to, to determine whether or not something is, is misstated, to be able to use that also as a as a as the risk assessment tool first um, provides you so much. It, it provides you number one, it provides you extra information, and then number two, it provides you that efficiency of being able to utilize the same thing for both for your planning and preliminary work, and then also for your substantive tests. And and so being able to do both of those things is is um, very valuable. Yep. <laughs> Chris, I'd be remiss here if I didn't take just a second and talk about a tool. You know, we've been talking about a number of different tools that you might be able to use. And the tool that we use here at Walters Kluwer to help us go through and do these types of procedures is Teammate Analytics. So Teammate Analytics is our data analysis and interrogation program that allows us to do a lot of the procedures we've talked about. Now, my favorite part about it is it's, it's made to work with Excel. So just from an onboarding perspective, you know, all of us know Excel. So to be able to go through and and just have that familiar environment, it really 
you know, makes the training so much easier. Uh, it doesn't limit the power, though. You're still going to find over 200 powerful data analysis tools inside of Teammate Analytics where you can do all the types of things we're talking about, you know, visualization, modelings. It helps from a documentation perspective because it shows you exactly the steps that you did. So a great tool as your firm is, is looking at going and, you know, and trying to incorporate more of these types of procedures. Yeah, there's no question that this is a great tool. You can tell that my dogs were super excited about it. Um, <laughs> they, 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 they know that we at our firm have started to use it, use it recently, and, and we are, we're really excited for how easy it is to use. There, there's no question that we spend a lot of time in Excel as, as a general rule, as an auditor. And so having a tool that's built right into Excel and, and that has a list of, of all of these different uh, analysis that are already there in place has, has already, and we, we started the process just a couple months ago, and it's already something that we're incorporating into, uh, into several of our audits because it does provide that extra value and being able to just, just make a click to, to do some of this, uh, some of the, uh, some of the, analysis that we've already talked about, and also some of the visualizations, that, uh, that's been fantastic. Excellent. Glad, glad to hear it. Well, Chris, I see we're coming up on the top of the hour here. So first of all, I'd really like to thank you, Chris, for being our guest speaker today. Appreciate your insights and your time. Of course. It's my pleasure. This Audit Talks podcast series is a 2021 production of CCH Incorporated. The content is for general information purposes only and should not be considered a substitute for professional accounting and audit advice. 